Well, today we're going to finish Joshua chapter 10. We started last week. Um, This sermon series now is all about consequences. And you know, I was, I have grown up and in the church and I've always had a frustration about me because, you know, I don't know if you guys know this about me. I maybe shouldn't tell you until after I'm ordained Saturday, but I'm a sinner and I'm foolish. And uh, I will say that I'm, I do believe I have grown to be less sinful over the years as a Christian, but uh, I've always been a sinner. And my frustration as I've read the Bible was that I see things that you're not supposed to do and things that you are supposed to do. Like I see the standard. My frustration would be, but you know, I've blown it. What, what about now? You know, what does the Bible say for us when we've blown it? And, you know, very refreshingly, we've found something right here as we've been going through Joshua. Um, so I really, real quickly, I just want to review what we went over last week. And then I just want to keep wading deeper into this chapter. Okay? So last week I told you five principles that I believe are biblical about consequences. When I say consequences, I mean repercussions for the things that we do that are either sinful or foolish. So here they are. Consequences are not condemnation. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are no longer condemned. Christ took that for you. So don't think that you're condemned when you're having to live with painful repercussions for something that you've done. Two, God uses consequences for our good. We know that he works all things for the good of those who love him, including consequences. Not all hardship is a consequence of some sin or foolishness. Life is just hard. We're on a sinful world, so don't look around and see someone who's having a hard time. It's not necessarily because they've sinned or been foolish. This is just a hard world to live in. Attempting to escape consequences will bring about more consequences. And we need to, as Christians, allow consequences to press us into the character of God. And that's what the sermon is about. That's what this chapter is about. So last week we looked at one aspect of God that we can cling to when we've messed up and we're having to live with the repercussions of it. And that was that God is faithful. Remember what's going on? Joshua had made a stupid covenant, a sinful covenant with people of the land. God had told him, don't make a covenant with these people. But he foolishly and sinfully did. And now because of that, he has to protect this people from five kingdoms at once. Remember, so he's charging into battle against five kingdoms at one time because he has to. This is the consequence for what he did. And we asked, well, what was God going to be there for him? And we saw, I think it was in verse 8 of Joshua chapter 10. You can go ahead and flip there if you'd like. As he's charging in, God says, Joshua, don't fear them because I've given them into your hands. Not one of them is going to stand before you. So we saw that even... In the midst of the consequences of our mistakes and sin, God is still with his children. Okay, that's where we ended up last week. This week, I want to just go right on with where we left off, uh, starting in verse 9 of Joshua chapter 10. Verse 9 says, So Joshua came upon them suddenly by marching all night from Gilgal. And the Lord confounded them before Israel, and he slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, and pursued them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon, 
and struck them as far as Azekah and Mechadah. I'm almost certain I'm mispronouncing those, but that's okay. So will God be faithful to his people while they're sifting through the mess that they've made? Here we see that God, God's not only riding in like beside Joshua, God's doing everything for Joshua. Look at who's accomplishing things in this, these verses. It says in verse 10, the Lord confounded them, threw them into confusion. The Lord slew them with a great slaughter. It was the Lord that pursued them by the way. It was the Lord that struck them. It was God doing all this. God God didn't say, Joshua, you're on your own. You've made this mess. You clean it up. God was there cleaning up the mess. He wasn't just there helping Joshua clean it up. He was cleaning it up. That's how faithful he is, even when we've messed up. Okay? So let's... Well, before we move on, I feel like we have to ask ourselves a question at this point. Do you feel like you need God? I mean, do you feel it uh, with what was going on this morning, you know, getting ready, coming to church, sitting here now? I think we all know in our mind that we are dependent upon God. You know, the, the air that's filling our lungs, that's God's gift to us. The fact that our hearts are beating I'm not making my heartbeat right now. God's upholding me. But often we just don't really feel that reality. Consequences are wonderful for putting us in a position where we feel our dependence on God. Usually it's because we've tried to depend on ourselves that we're in the mess that we've created. And like Joshua, we feel the I can't. That I can't mindset. I can't. Deal with this. And that's a good place to be, really. Because then we can depend on God like we ought to. Okay? So let's keep going. In verse 11. As they fled from before Israel, while they were at the descent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah. And they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than those whom the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, O sun, stand still at Gibeon, and O moon in the valley of Ihalam. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Yashar? And the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. There was no day like that, before it or after it, when the Lord listened to the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Israel killed a lot of of their enemies with their sword. But here God killed even more with miraculous the hailstones from heaven that killed the enemy, not Israel. That was some well-aimed stones. The sun and the moon stood still, lengthening the day so that they had time to win this battle completely. This is miraculous stuff. See, God is faithful 
in the midst of our consequences. And God is miraculous in the midst of our consequences. Do you guys believe that? Do you believe, do you guys just believe this? That this happened? God miraculously defeated five kingdoms at once for his people. It happened. And I know, like me, you must be thinking, I don't know, I've never seen a, a miracle like this. The sun stopping, the moon stopping. I've never seen miracles like that. Do you believe miracles happen? I mean, do you believe God is capable of this, that he would do this for us? <laughs> even, even would he do a miracle for you to help you through a mess that you created? Like he did for Joshua? I have a friend. Um, I told the youth about this too. It's not someone who goes to this church. Um, my friend has made some pretty serious mistakes. Committed some pretty serious sins. Um, he's married. These sins um, are of a nature that he is not only sinning against God. He's sinning against his wife. And I've talked to him. We, we, were, we were eating together and I was talking to him. And, and he's a good Christian. I mean, he's a, he's a strong Christian. He knows the Bible. He knows what it says. That this is sin and that you need to confess your sin to who you sinned against. And he knows that he sinned against his wife. And I'm talking to him about, so, you know, what, what are you going to do? When, when are you going to face this? These consequences that you've created. When are you gonna, what are you going to do here? And he's so hesitant to confess to his wife. So hesitant. And he talks about it and, and we get down to it. Yes, he doesn't want to hurt her, but he knows he, he hurt her already when he committed the sin. You know, she just hadn't found out yet. He knows that. And when we get down to it, what it is, is he's afraid. He's terrified because he can't imagine them being able to get past this. And he can't imagine her being able to forgive. And he can't imagine him being able to think of the words to say. It's all just impossible. Like, there's no way I can do this. I cannot imagine being able to do this. And what he needs is to see that, yes, he has sinned. Yes, this is terrible. But God will not only be with him if he will now do the right thing and face his consequences. God won't just be with him. God will make miracles happen. Forgiveness where it's unimaginable that there could be forgiveness. Restoration where we couldn't imagine there could be restoration. Words to say when we could not think of any possibility of how am I even going to say this. And I have been there. And I know many of us have been there. But God is faithful and he is miraculous. And what about you? Is there something? I just feel in my spirit that there's something here in this church. There's, is there something that you know, you know that it's time to face. But you're just terrified. And I'm not talking from a judgmental standpoint because, man, I've been there. But I'm just telling you from the solid bedrock of God's word. That even though you have sinned and you have messed up, you've done horrible things, as we all have, God will be with you if you'll turn and do the right thing now. 
And he can make things happen that you think cannot happen. What's impossible for man is possible with God. Do you believe that? You've got to believe that. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus is talking, I'm pretty sure he's talking to his disciples. And he says that if you just had the faith of a mustard seed, that's tiny. Mustard seed size faith is tiny. If you just had this tiny bit of faith, you would see mountains move. Now, I don't know. I don't know that Jesus really meant that the disciples could just be like, hey, mountain, go over there. Awesome. Because I've got faith. I think that's a hyperbole. I think he's making a point that often we don't see God move in miraculous ways because often we just simply don't have faith. If we just had the slightest bit, we would see miraculous things. And if we as Christians could charge like Joshua into our consequences with faith, we would see miracles happen. Even if we just limped into our consequences with mustard seed-sized faith, we would see miracles happen. But we don't. We dig our heels in. There's very little confession that takes place. We have to be caught. We have to be found out. We have to be drugged into it. I'm just talking about humanity in general. It's just, that's who we are. Much of that's because we don't believe that God is really going to be there. He's not really going to help us. He can't make a way here. I've made too big a mess. And so, I made a list here just if you look at the headlines. That this is our case in humanity. Governor Mark Sanford, the Goldman Sachs guy, Mark McGuire, John Edwards, David Letterman, Elliot Spitzer, Michael Vick. They all had to get drug into facing their consequences. And I don't point them out as in, look at those evil people. I point them out as in, this is us, this is you, this is me. Why, do, why must we be dragged to face our consequences? And most recently, of course, Tiger Woods. And man, the media has a field day. I think we love to just leap on somebody else. When in reality, we know he is, we are Tiger Woods. That's us. But we love to just jump on the poor guy who got found out. You know, after, after his apology, which I actually haven't heard, but I've heard a lot about it. Bob and Sherry, anybody, well, you don't have to raise your hand if you listen to Bob and Sherry, but you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Bob and Sherry, they had their morning show. Um, it was after his apology, they had a segment where people could call in and just talk about times that they had to apologize. Um, and, you know, I, I was listening to it, and um, caller after caller, not one of them did it on their own accord. Every one of them got found out. They were pressed up into a corner where they, like a, you know, like a scared wild animal, they had thrashed and tried to get out of their consequences, and they had to apologize for something. And what's funny is you listen to them, and it's amazing how none of it's really their fault, though. You know, you know I had to apologize, but, you know, in reality... It was because of what they did or blah, blah, blah. And it's not just politicians and, and athletes and people like that. It's, it's not just people calling in to Bob and Sherry. It's, it's all of us. And it's, it's people like me. It's pastors. Ted Haggard. Ring a bell. The Catholic Church. 
Ring any bells? You know, the Catholic Church, I don't know a whole lot about what's going on there with the abuse and the molestation that has gone on in the Catholic Church. Again, I'm not coming from a judgmental standpoint. I don't know much about what happened. But I do know that it seems clear that some of the higher-ups in the Catholic Church knew that this stuff had been going on. And their reaction was not to come clean, was not to expose it and face you know, the dreadful consequences. Their reaction was to lock down. Information locked down. And I can't help but wonder, man, what miracles of forgiveness, what miracles of repentance and restoration might we have seen if the Catholic Church just said, here we are, we've got to face the consequences. What miracles might the world have seen instead of them having to be drugged into it? What miracles might we see if we just faced up to it with faith? Not faith that we can get through this, but faith that God will be with us, faithful, and He will even be miraculous to get us through these dark times that we've created. Our God is just amazing. He's just amazing. Must have been some kind of miracle right there. I was looking at my watch. I couldn't see where the hands were. I guess I'm not supposed to know. I want to continue on. We're going to look at three characteristics of our God that we can cling to when we have blown it, when we have sinned. And we've looked at two. He's faithful. He's miraculous, even in the midst of our consequences. And now I just want to, um, I just want to read for a little bit here on into this chapter. We're actually not going to read the entirety of the chapter. Uh, but I'm going to start at verse 15 and read through verse 25. After all this miraculous stuff had happened, it says, Then Joshua and all Israel with him returned to the camp at Gilgal. Now these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in the cave at Mechida. It was told Joshua, saying, The five kings have been found and hidden in the cave at Mechida. Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave. And assign men by it to guard them. But don't stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies and attack them in the rear. Do not allow them to enter their cities. For the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. It came about when Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished slaying them with a very great slaughter. Until they were destroyed. And the survivors who remained of them had entered the fortified cities. Then all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Mechida in peace. No one uttered a word against any of the sons of Israel. And then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring these five kings out to me from the cave. They did so and brought these five kings out to him from the cave. The king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, When they brought these kings out to Joshua, Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, 
Do not fear or be dismayed. Be strong and courageous. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies with whom you fight. Do not fear or be dismayed. Be strong and courageous. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies with whom you fight. God is faithful to us regardless of the fact that we sin. God is miraculous in the midst of our consequences. And God is victorious in the midst of our consequences. He's victorious. God's victory in our lives and in history is not dependent upon your performance or my performance. And I want to prove to you that this is a theme that runs deeper in the Bible than you might think. I want you to think about Eve, as in Adam and Eve. You've probably heard of her. I want you to picture Eve, okay? She was a party to the very first sin. She was in the perfect garden, and God said, Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you've been at church long, you know that they, she and Adam, ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Basically, they made the decision that I'm not going to just trust God to know what's good and evil. I'm going to put myself in God's place and and I'll see for myself what's good and what's evil. And there were consequences for that, weren't there? Do you remember they kicked out of the garden? Um, Now people would die. Death is a consequence of sin. Kicked out of the garden. Um, The very things that God designed them to do would now be really difficult. Uh, Man was supposed to cultivate the ground, uh, provide for his family, work. That used to be joyful, and now because of sin, it's really hard. Men in here and women know it's hard. It's hard to provide for your family. And that's because of the curse. That's because of what Eve did and Adam did. For Eve, you know, they're supposed to be fruitful and multiply, have kids. That used to be a pretty pleasant process, apparently. But because of that sin, God said, now it's going to be very painful for you to bear children. So what I want you to picture, you may have never really tried to picture this before, but I want you to picture Eve. She's outside of the garden now. And she's become pregnant. The very first pregnancy in the history of the universe. Because God created Adam and Eve just straight up from the dirt. This is the first child to be born by birth of a woman. So I want you to picture Eve. The time has come. The contractions have started. I've never experienced any of this, but I've been near to someone who has. (laughs) And it doesn't seem like very much fun, as some of you can attest. Now, Adam's standing there. He doesn't know what to do. I mean, he's as helpless as I felt standing beside Meredith. He must have felt infinitely more so because he's never even seen this happen to anybody before. They, They didn't even know what to expect. She knows, she knows something's up because she's got this big old thing here. <laughs> and now it's just, it's so painful. It's so painful. She's never experienced pain like this. And Adam's probably sitting there just pacing back and forth. I don't know what to do. And the pain's getting worse. It's getting worse. And the baby's starting to come. And Adam doesn't have access to an epidural. This is all unnatural. <laughs> and the baby's starting to come. And at the climax of the most painful part... Of the birthing process. 
She must have thought in her head, what have I done? At the the climax of pain for the consequences of what she and Adam did, comes this little baby boy. I want you to picture her holding this little baby boy that came through the climax of the pain for consequences. This little baby boy is proof that she will still be fruitful and multiply, even though she's screwed up. And that the promise God gave her that he would provide a savior is going to come through. God told her after she sinned, you've messed up big, it's going to be bad for a long time, but I'm going to provide a savior. That savior is going to come from the fruit of your womb. So breathless from the pain of, of her repercussion for her sins, she's holding the proof that God will be victorious. And God is with her. And God will make miracles happen. I want you to think about Joseph's brothers. Remember the story of Joseph? He had the coat, fancy coat that had all the colors. He was his father's favorite child. And he had a bunch of brothers, and they were getting sick and tired of it. So they took this favored child, this younger brother, and they beat him to a pulp, and they sold him into slavery, and they lied to their dad, and they said, an animal got him. And Joshua, was, I mean, Joseph was just gone. Yeah, I'm hoping some of you remember this story. I know everybody may not be familiar with it. Now, think about these brothers, okay? Years and years and years have passed by. Now there's a famine in the land. So they have to go to Egypt where they have grain because the prime minister of Egypt at this time was a very wise man and he had set aside grain for this occasion. So all the brothers who have lived for years with the knowledge of what they had done go to Egypt and they stand before the prime minister. And to their horror, they see that the prime minister is Joseph, their little brother that they beat and sold into slavery. God had allowed him to rise to power in Egypt. And now, just picture them. Imagine being in their shoes. They're sitting there looking at their little brother that they had sinned against so terribly. That had to be the climax for them of the repercussions for what they did. And their lives are in his hand. He can say, here's some grain, you'll live. Or no, you punched me in the face and sold me into slavery. I'm not giving you any grain. They must have been terrified. It was all crashing down on them. Everything they had done, crashing down on their heads. But it was in that moment that God provided salvation for them. Through the miraculous forgiveness of Joseph, he didn't only just give them grain, he brought them into the land of Egypt and gave them the best land. He did that for them at the climax of their consequences. Uh, There's so many examples. I'm not going to give you all the ones because I don't want to lose you, but... Think about Moses, right before Joshua. When did God come to Moses and say, okay, I want to use you to bring my people out of Egypt? You see, Moses was a prince in Egypt, and he murdered a guy. He killed somebody. Now, yes, this this person was abusing an Israelite slave, but he took that life in his own hands and he killed him. And then, cowardly, he ran from that out into the wilderness. He ran from the consequences of that out to the wilderness. He was there for so long that he couldn't even really speak well anymore. Like, when God comes to him, he's like, 
I can't hardly put a sentence together. And you want me to go proclaim your word. It was out there in in the desert of Moses' consequence. Alone, isolated. Everything he had gone because of what he had done. It was there. In the desert of his consequences that he looked over and he saw a bush on fire. And he went near and God started to speak to him. That had to be about his lowest point in his life. And that's where God came. And that's where God called him out and spoke to him. One more. Last week I talked about King David. I talked about King David, how he he was supposed to be out battling, but instead he was hanging out on his rooftop and he saw a, a young woman bathing. He brought her in, used his influence to sleep with her. She became pregnant. He schemed and murdered her husband and took her as his wife. Do you guys remember that from last week? I hope so. Amen. Um, Her name was Bathsheba. Now I want you to picture Bathsheba. This is sometime after all this happened. I want you to picture Bathsheba. She just gave birth. And picture her holding a little boy. A little boy that they would name Solomon. You see, you can trace from Eve all through the Bible... Jesus Christ's lineage. And God chose to go through Solomon, the child of David and this woman who he sinned against so terribly, Bathsheba, for Christ's lineage. Are you following what I'm saying? It it wasn't David and, and a wife that he had, you know, been the greatest husband for. It was the product of huge sin, huge failure. And God's miraculous victory through Christ just shoots straight through it, through that avenue. It was through Bathsheba. And some of you may be hearing all this and you're thinking, I'm living in consequence, but not because of my sin, because of someone else's sin. Is God going to be faithful to me as I live through the consequence of what someone's done to me? Will he be miraculous for me? Will he be victorious in my life? And the answer is yes. Look at Bathsheba. What, What a terrible thing to happen to her. And yet here she is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Through that very part of her life that was so terrible. I hope you're you're tracking with me. I hope you're getting... I'm just trying to lay out a picture. That in our darkest times is often when God does his most amazing things. For instance, what would you think was the darkest day in the history of humanity? What would you think? I mean, what comes to your mind? 9-11? There's been darker days. I mean, that was a dark day. What is the darkest day of human sin, human depravity? The day that we humans came together and crucified Jesus Christ was the darkest day. And it was on that very day. That God sealed his victory for us. Man, doesn't that just blow your mind when you think about that? Man, it blows my mind. Got my notes all backwards and all of a sudden. (laughs) And it blows our minds because there's a widespread misconception. And the misconception is 
God's victory in my life and in this church and in this world is dependent upon my performance. And if I screw up, this is not going to happen. This thing depends on me. And that's just not the case. And we've been talking about this in youth, actually. This misconception that so much depends on our performance for God to accept us, for God to be faithful to us, for God to do miraculous, amazing things for us, for God to be victorious in our hearts. It biblically, read it, it's not the case. When you're in Christ, when you are Christian, you're God's child, just like Joshua. He will be there for you. He loves you. And nothing you can do is going to change that. He's not going to love you any more or any less dependent upon how you perform. I know you guys have sinned. I, I know it because the Bible tells me it. I know I have. But God doesn't love me less because of that. If you're in Christ, when he looks at you, he sees Jesus' perfection. He sees his son, his daughter. And I was telling the youth in Sunday school, Lillian, she's going to turn one this Friday, maybe. One day coming up, she's going to turn, she's going to turn one. She's getting to the age now. She's the sweetest little girl, but she's getting to the age now that she's starting to show a bit of an attitude. You pick her up, and she doesn't want to be picked up, and she starts trying to get out of it. And, and she gets mad. I've, I've witnessed her. I was laying beside her plane. I witnessed her just beating this not out of her little toy. <laughs> I don't know where that rage came from, but I see in her, you know, the perfection of, of Lillian before she could talk and really move. I'm starting to see through that to the reality of Lillian. That she's going to be just like me, and she's going to be just like me. It's unfortunate, but true. But, you know, as she grows, I'm certain that she's going to disobey me. I'm certain that she's going to do foolish things. She's going to spill her milk all over the carpet. She's going to, I'm going to tell her not to do something. She's going to do that something. But I'm not going to love her any less. I'm not going to be any less her father. In fact, I'll probably be even more her father. If she, if I tell her, don't touch that heater, you're going to burn your hand. If she touches it, I'm not going to be like, I told you. Deal with it. Here's some aloe vera. No, I'm going to be even more her father in that moment. I'm going to pick her up. And I'm going to take care of her. If you're in Christ, I want you to know there's no condemnation for you anymore. You're his son. You're his daughter. I'm not really saying more than that. I'm just going to reiterate. I mean, I have been, I guess I've listened more than that. I have been praying for you. I've been praying for you. I've been praying for those of you who are living right now in the mess that you've made. Most of us probably don't even know about it. I've been praying for you. I've been praying that you will see that God will be faithful to you, that he can be miraculous for you, that he will still be victorious through this, maybe more victorious now for you than he's ever been. I've been praying that you will run toward God and face your consequences. You don't have to be like the world and run away from God and scramble and try to make excuses. Just face it with faith and watch what he'll do. Man, just watch. I've been praying for you who have lived through the consequences of your mistakes. I've been praying that, that God might put you in the path of somebody that he can use you to give some wisdom to about these things. I've been praying for all of us as I know we're all going to be here. I know I'm going to be here again when I have screwed it up. When I have sinned 
I know I'm going to be there again. I pray for myself that I will remember. I pray for you that you will remember God. He's right there with you. If you are his son, his daughter through Jesus Christ, he's right there with you. So I just want to pray for you now. And we'll sing a song together. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit will seal these things in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we need your help to truly believe what is true from your word about who you are. Please help us to see you for who you are and to see through Christ how much you love us. And to not be afraid and to not hide. And I thank you that you love us this way. And I I pray for these folks here. I pray for myself. Lord, please humble us so that we can have a humble, childlike faith in you. That in our mess, in our consequences, that we can still cling to you. We can still crawl up in your arms. That you will still be faithful. That you will still love us. You'll still make miracles happen as we come to you with faith. And you will be victorious. Praise your name, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.